Hello and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work. I'm Rami Khoury, your host at the American University of Beirut. Every week we talk to a professor or faculty member or researcher about the kind of work they're doing, the uh, research, the field work they're doing, what they're learning about our world, and what it means to the rest of us. And I'm very happy to have this week my colleague, George Azar, who is a, uh, a professor of practice and the photojournalist in residence at AUB. He teaches uh, the, uh, uh, the, the video and photography students, and he oversees the media study internship program. And he does this because he's had about 40 years of practical experience covering the Middle East as a photojournalist and documentary filmmaker, and has worked for some of the top outfits in the world, including the Associated Press, New York Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, Jazeera English and Arabic, and many others. Uh, so, George, welcome. Thanks for being with me. Thank you. So, you do two things uh, in your work these days as an academic. You do um, practical field work. You're still out there doing documentaries and, and photo shoots for uh, serious projects related to events in the Middle East, which you can mention. But you also, once in a while, step back and do a kind of a analysis, reflection on global media patterns and issues that we at AUB have talked about in terms of uh, colonial media coverage, some of the stuff we see about how the world writes on the Middle East, how some of the reporting on Ukraine or Yemen or other places is um, it's very much colonial in many ways. And you've done some research on, on that, and you've also had your own... Um, collection of uh, photographs put in the archives at AUB Library, where we also have the archives of the late Anthony Shadid, and you've been involved in a lecture series we've done to look at the legacy of Shadid, the importance of the archival process, and what it tells us about the world today. So that's a lot of different things that uh, shape your world, and we're happy that it does, because you clarify a lot of things for us. So I'd like you to clarify some of these issues for our listeners. Um, by talking first of all about w how you see your job as a as a professor of practice in the field of uh, photojournalism. Well, I think one of the um, my important missions is to impart on students practical skills that uh, that they'll be able to take out into the professional world should they enter the worlds of media or journalism, especially when it comes to the practice of visual journalism. Uh, so, along with training students to use the latest equipment, the latest cameras, and that sort of thing, um, I'd like to give them a background in the whole approach of visual journalism. Uh, we start with grounding them in the history of the genre, uh, the history of photojournalism and documentary photography. Uh, we study the great master photographers of the 20th and the 21st century. Uh, actually, we go back as far as the 19th century. Um, we talk about understanding visual language, about understanding light and composition, color and black and white and their effects. Um, and most of all, what I try to impart on them is the idea of visual storytelling, uh, which yeah. is a very particular realm of, uh, of journalistic practice. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, I was going to say that we also give them an opportunity 
to go out and shoot and to film and to edit and to create a portfolio that they can take with them upon graduation, you know, to show to, uh, you know, to uh, potential employers in the future. Right. Um, and you do continue to do research um, and analysis and some lecturing internationally on um, some of the issues related to how cultures see each other through their own media. Are they are cultures projecting accurate pictures of each other uh, or not? And you're doing that as well at a practical level by continuing to make documentary films, uh, mostly around the Middle East. And uh, you've just recently finished the last or the third in the series that you're doing on uh, women um, protest leaders and reformers across Arab countries at the grassroots level. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, when you do actual documentaries and films, what is the main driving force behind what you do? Are you just trying to give an accurate picture? Are you trying to entertain people? Are you trying to correct historical wrongs? What, are you, what is uppermost in your mind? The, the type of films that I specialize in are observational documentaries, where we don't direct the action. We, we, we place ourselves in a certain environment or in the presence of a certain individual, and we watch to see what unfolds without interfering very much. Uh, it's a bit anthropological in that sense. Mm. Um, my goal generally is to try to tell human stories, but stories which will shed light on a larger uh, political or social issue. Uh, the main thing that really I try to do through my work is to um, to tell human stories. Yeah. Uh, and to to make a connection between between people around the world. So, for example, one hears about you know, a hundred people were killed or injured in Gaza last year or, you know, in the last bombing episode. Right. Rather than report that way, I tend to pick one person and tell the, the, the story of one individual. Right. Um, yeah, and I've done a number of these. Uh, largely, I've worked for a, a program called Witness on Al Jazeera English, which is a half an hour documentary program. And I've looked at people's lives from... Well, Gaza and Palestine to the West Bank, to uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and really across the region. And recently, we've been doing a series of of uh, films looking at the lives of uh, women activists in a, in a series of countries. So we started out in Gaza, then we did a, a series of profiles in Lebanon, and most recently in Tunisia. And when you do these kinds of um films that are very human-based, but also quite explicitly political in nature in many ways. You're trying to project an accurate picture of the people that you film and the dynamics in the societies uh, where, where you film. When you do this kind of work, are you aiming at a specific audience? Are you looking at uh, people around the world? Are you looking at people in the Middle East? Uh, do you have any specific audience in mind? No, not not really. Um, I mean, what I what I try to do is to uh, to insert myself in the, in the situation, to remain a fly on the wall, and to see what happens, and then and then to craft a story out of it. 
Um, but I, I don't, you know, go in with any idea of, of who I'm trying to speak to. I think, you know, uh, as simply a human audience. Uh, I long ago gave up on trying to convince, say, the American public. When I first came to the Middle East, I really saw it as my mission to uh, to do journalism that would that would affect public opinion, that would allow specifically the American public, because that's the society that I grew up in, to uh, to understand the Middle East and then hopefully to broaden their attitudes, uh, especially towards the Arab world and Arab people. Since that time, I think I've uh, maybe I've I've just given up on them, but uh, I, I I don't see the uh, I haven't become I've become less Americo centric or north less North American centric, and right. uh, I t- I tend to think in a global way now. So the audience in South America or in South Africa is just as important to me now as the audience in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, are your films often translated into other languages? Uh, yes. Um, oftentimes they start out on Al Jazeera Arabic, and then they'll be translated into English for a, uh, a program called Al Jazeera World. Uh, and oftentimes into Turkish and into other languages. But uh, English and Arabic are the primary primary, uh, languages I work in. Mm -hmm. And you've also written um, quite beautifully, I must say, from some of the articles of yours that I've read and have used in my writing classes at the UB. Uh, You've you've done work as a print journalist uh, on and off. Um, How do you compare the two media, print and film, or three media, still photography, the three media that you've worked in, how do you compare how each of them impacts or maybe doesn't impact very much on audiences? Well, you know, they, in some ways they're more related than you might think. At the heart of uh, a good film is really good writing, uh, especially in a documentary film. And you only need to look at the films of, of somebody like Richard Attenborough, who makes these amazing... Uh, uh, nature documentaries. Part of the reason they are so riveting is that the writing so beautifully complements the image that's seen on screen. Now there is a difference, a big difference between writing for the screen and writing, uh, you know, for printed text. In that writing for the screen has to be, is very minimalist. Uh, Clarity and conciseness is, uh, is at a premium. Uh, you don't have as many words, but you don't need as many words when writing for the screen. Yeah. However, that that writing, as I said, has to be clear and concise and and conversational. Because when you're watching a film, it's rare, you know, to stop the film and go back and to reread or to re-listen to what someone has said. You have to kind of catch it the first time. And when that writing becomes invisible, when it's simply allows you to see things in the image that you hadn't seen or to deepen your understanding of what you're seeing, then it becomes very, very powerful. Wow. Um, Let me ask you a question about the sort of other dimension of your work and life and and interests, which is to, because you've done um, cross-cultural media for much of your life between the United States and and the Middle East. You've gone to other parts of the world too, but the, you know, the Western world and the Middle East dominate a, your focus. Um, 
do you find that there are issues or problems uh, related to how, broadly speaking, I know there's always exceptions, how, broadly speaking, media institutions in the Middle East or in the Western world differ in how they use their media to tell stories about the other. And and this is in relation to what we've been recently doing with you and others at AUB and around the world, looking at what we call a colonial media that we'd like to decolonize if possible. Do you see a, a, a colonial or political influence on either Middle Eastern or Western media or both? Well, you know, in my experience, um, media bias doesn't work in the way that most people understand it to, in the sense that I've never been in a situation where someone has come into the newsroom and explicitly asked for a certain type of coverage. Um, It does happen, actually. And now that I say that, I'm reminded of a friend of mine who... uh, who works for Turkish radio and television, who showed me recently a memo coming down saying that they were explicitly not allowed to call the war in in, uh, Ukraine a war. Right. So that does happen. However, generally speaking, what you have in news organizations are a group of like-minded people who have the same set of assumptions and the same, you know, set of biases, as you were, the same, the same worldview. So, for example, no one has to walk into an American newsroom, say, at the beginning of the Gulf War, and, you know, order that the coverage of American troops in Iraq is going to be sympathetic, or that it's going to be central to their coverage. Uh It's simply their own inclination. Yes. Likewise, when I went from working for the New York Times to Al Jazeera, I was really struck by the shift in attitudes that I encountered among my editors simply because their starting point when it came to the question of Palestine was so different. Yes. So, when speaking about the Palestinians in the context of El Jazeera English, the assumption was these are an occupied people fighting for their freedom. Whereas, (laughs) when working for the New York Times, that wasn't the starting assumption. Yes. And the starting assumption oftentimes was that Israel was the central part of the story, and the Palestinians were a secondary part of the story. Right. Uh, it came to the, it was the same with coverage of the uh, of the war in Iraq when it came to the American media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone really had to give many reporters marching orders to look at American troops sympathetically. However, you only mm-hmm. need to look at the hypocrisy in terms of how. Russia's invasion of another country and its occupation and shelling of Iraq is treated, of uh, Ukraine rather, is treated in in American news as opposed to when the United States did the same thing in Iraq. Yes. And that raises the question um, of if media, but for the reasons that you mentioned, that they're just a kind of collective inclination in society and a certain group temperament that says this is what we think is good and this is what we're going to do. Um, and those perceptions are different in the United States or Turkey or Russia, or China, Palestine, Iraq, whatever. Um, in that context, when you are, oh, and I've experienced this throughout my life, like you, I've worked 
in the print media for people all over the Western world and the Middle East, and um, and I've I've experienced very similar uh, similar things to you. Um, but in this context, what is your sense about what the media can, how the media can have impact? What can the media do that would help maybe soften some of the distortions or gaps in the coverage? that exist on, on, on both sides. I'm sure if you look at Arab coverage of, say, North America um, or Israeli coverage of, of uh, the Arabs or Turkish coverage of China, you're going to find in all these cases gaps and inconsistencies and certain tendencies, ideological tendencies. What can the media do, if anything, to help soften those and try to generate a more accurate and complete view of other cultures that the media gives? Well, you know, I really do still believe in journalism. And I really do believe in best practices in journalism. And we are always going to have different perspectives on the world. It's only natural and it's inevitable because we all stand and look at the universe from our own particular vantage point. That said, that said, the inclination or the striving to be fair-minded, I think, is 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 important, and mm -hmm. I think um, the ability to listen rather than to judge, and mm -hmm. the ability to not only report on the grand strategic movement of events, but also to report on the ground. Um, right. to, about what's happening to, to individual people, about what it looks like on the ground from the perspective of, of regular people. Um, and I think that's the best yeah. that we can do. It's not an ideal world. But, you know, I really do believe in the best practices in journalism. And, you know, for example, I am... I might be diametrically opposed to the policies of the Israeli government... However, it's not to say that with a reputable news organization and a reputable journalist whom I trust, I wouldn't completely trust the reporting of somebody from the other side of the barricade. Right. That's how much I believe in, in journalism and in, good, and in honest journalism. And I think honesty is the key word here. We can only report honestly about what we see and let the chips fall where they may. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And uh, I think more and more people are starting to look at the media world in that context. We only have a few minutes left. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about um, the late Anthony Shadid. You um, knew him and his some of his work. His work, his, his papers are archived at the AUB library, as, uh, or, as is your collection of photographs. Um, and he did, in his work in the Middle East, uh, he was unusual that he did cover the perspectives of ordinary people during war or peace or conflict or whatever uh, whatever it was. And you tended to do that if, when people look through your uh, archives, which I've done. Uh, the photographs from the 1970s till today are largely about ordinary people doing routine daily life things, which can be in many ways extraordinary and powerful and courageous and moving. Um, uh, so what is your sense of the possibility that more and more journalists in different media will focus on these uh, these uh, priorities 
of giving voice to ordinary people because in the final analysis, it's the collective view of millions and tens of millions of ordinary people that are going to shape the destinies of these countries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, uh, I mean, I think Anthony Shadid is a, uh, I mean, he's an icon. He uh, he set a, a very strong example for his ability not only to listen empathetically, but to to write, to understand the culture that he was reporting from, to, you know, he made great strives towards, you know, becoming fluent in Arabic. So, uh, he understood the nuances of what he was seeing and hearing. And, you know, his reporting was absolutely cinematic. Yes. Absolutely cinematic. And you, uh, anyone with a background in, in filmmaking will read through one of his articles and can say, ah, oh, there's the establishing shot. Oh, there is the cutaway. Oh, <laughs> there's a reference to the music that's playing on the radio. There's the soundtrack. Right. Oh, here's the close-up. Uh, he was a master. He was a master. I, I, I hold him in, in total awe. And uh, I think one of the great things, though, is uh, that one of the big surprises for me was going down to the Jaffet Library and seeing his notebooks and mm -hmm. being struck by how pristine these were. These notebooks look as though they were bought at the corner shop in the morning and they had been filled out sitting at, you know, a, uh, a desk in a library. However, right. you look at the cover and it will say something like Battle of Fallujah, Day 3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had carried them in and out of war zones. And uh, they're just, um, I don't know, they, their pristine condition uh, and the precision of the notes inside of them really points to an, an extraordinary character. Yeah, yeah, he certainly was, and uh, you'd be as lucky to have his archives and, and yours as well. And in the end, it's really trying to tell the stories of ordinary people in often extraordinary times. Uh, and with that note, I have to close this. We've run out of time. Uh, George Azar, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. And this has been uh, Professors at Work our weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Join us again next week. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.